Hello and welcome to Shuffle, episode 8. Please make sure to listen to the five songs that we will be discussing in this week's episode. Links to Spotify and YouTube playlists can be found in this episode's description. I am sitting here yet again with perpetual special guest, Dominic Lampy. Howdy. Yes, I always say. How that D. How that D. How that D. Jesus Christ. That's me. It's a bit invasive. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right, I guess. It has been eight episodes without an ICP incident. Damn. Which, I know. I've been having to get my ICP incidents on the side. <laughs> I know. When you're not looking. Shuffle's holding out on you. <laughs> which, and uh, speaking of ICP... We can transition into everyone's favorite segment, ICP News Corner. Yeah! Now, I know in the past this segment has been slightly facetious <laughs> and maybe insulting to the Insane Clown Pocket community. They got thick skin, they covered do. with fagos. This story is actually extremely beautiful and touching. <laughs> And I, I'm not trying to be ironic. I'm being completely straight up serious with you. So. And it's about ICP? It is about ICP. Oh, man. Okay, okay, okay. So there is a, uh, you know the, I guess, magazine or online present Vice? Yeah. They have a sub-news thing aggregate called Broadly. Oh. Broadly recently did a 16-minute documentary about a new wave of feminism moving throughout the juggalo community. It's it's all about feminist juggalettes. I know. And Are you making this up? I'm not. Holy I'm shit. planning on posting this video with this episode. Now I will warn you, it's an extremely not safe for work video. <laughs> There's nudity, drugs, and language. Mm. So I'm just forewarning you, and I will post it there. Don't watch it unless you're <laughs> wanting to see that stuff. Juggalettes. Juggalettes. Woo. So, without giving too much away, it, it, it's about how in the juggalette community there was this strong need for feminism. The women were being objectified and used, hmm. and they're basically standing up for it and not putting up with it anymore. And I'll, I'll, I will also post this other documentary I've seen called American Juggalo. Yeah. <laughs> which is kind of a internal look at, to the gathering of the Juggalos and who Juggalos are. I will say for as much flack as they get, they are a very tight-knit family. Hmm. They watch each other's back. They might be crazy-ass hicks, but they're each other's crazy-ass hicks. Yeah. They, you know... They keep to themselves, they do their own thing, and I, I can respect that. Yeah. So in this video, basically, every year at the Gathering of the Juggalos, there is a Miss Juggalette contest, like Miss America. Yeah. And in the previous years, Ron Jeremy, the porn star, was the curator of it. And it basically got to this point where anytime a female took the stage, if she did not get naked and do sexual things on stage, she would get booed off stage. It's a little bad. These juggalette feminists, what they're saying is, they're completely fine with nudity and sexual things, but only if it's the woman's choice. Hmm. They hmm. want to get up there and do 
weird naked things, more power to them. Yeah. But they also want to go up there and sing or rap or do a dance, like whatever. It's whatever they want to do. Right. It's that, and it's like I said, it's actually a very beautiful documentary. I teared up a bit watching. Damn, I'll be serious. That, out. that right. does that does sound good. So there, there's your first positive ICP news corner. Wow. Let's. We'll keep people posted on the yeah. list. That's actually fascinating. I, I agree. Fascinating. It's wow. like this evolution within yeah. the community. So now in music news. Hey, ICP's music news, bro. I'm sorry. Other, Come on, bro. Other music news. <laughs> in other music news. <laughs> we'll see. I ICP's so important that they get their own news corner. Fair. Everyone else gets fair. lumped together. Yeah, fair. You got music, then you got ICP. Yes, exactly. Sigur Rós helped produce a talking dog children's movie. <laughs> Two members of the band were financial investors and helped make critical decisions on this movie. They literally did it. They literally did it to make money. Yeah. That's they they were straight up about it. One of the members was quoted saying, "You can try to see the movie, but it's a horrible movie. I doubt you'll <laughs> manage to finish it." I didn't even finish it. But it's interesting, and I'll post this article where they interviewed him. They started talking about how, like, it really made us start to get in the shoes of music executives that, like, step in, that always bum us musicians out. Because we were in their shoes trying to make money off of something. We were throwing out these horrible ideas because they were probably, like, more fiscally responsible. Yeah. And he's like... I'm not saying I'm gonna become a, like a music head, like big wig now, but at least I can like respect that they're not like these evil people trying to ruin the music industry. Hmm. They're just trying to turn a profit. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. So wow, that's, that's fascinating. Allegedly, as well as long as this movie is or reaches a certain financial level, there's already like two more in the mix <laughs> that are. So you can look for. I don't even know what the name of the movie is. <laughs> We gotta post a link for this. I will. I I, I, oh I, will, I posted. A, I will post a link with the interview with the two members of the band. If you're interested with this talk, it's. I need it's to like, see the movie. It's like two I talking dogs save Christmas. It's something <laughs> like that. Like Santa, wow. something happens to Santa, and the only way that the presents can all be delivered is if these two dogs do it. Jesus and they, they. I think that's the plot of the movie. That's beautiful. So, have you been following this? I'm gonna mess up his last name. Martin Shrekili at all? I saw the news today. Okay, so I the, saw the news. This guy has been blowing up in the news feed. Let's go back to the beginning. He came into our collective consciousness when he acquired the rights to an affordable AIDS medication, which was $13 a pill, and jacked it up to about $700 a pill mm -hmm. to turn a better profit for his company. Since then, it's he's been outed as like a huge fan in the emo screamo rock world, and it was revealed that he was what's the word an invisible financer or like someone who gives money to something without being known. Wait, I did not hear this part. So wow. he, he's a I, I, I don't think some sort of investor, like a patron of yeah, but evil. whose name is off the records, huh. like. There's a term for it. Yeah, yeah. So there is a traditional old school emo band named Thursday. 
the lead singer of that band has his own record label. And it was on the brink of going bankrupt. And it's since been outed that Martin was this guy who stepped forward and invested a significant amount of money into this record label to keep it floating. Ever since it was outed that he was that investor and that he's also doing these horrible things with drugs, Jeff, the lead singer of Thursday, has severed ties with him. Okay. More interesting in the music community, the Wu-Tang Clan. This I heard. <laughs> allegedly, up until now, and now it's confirmed, have recorded this album called Once Upon a Time in Shaolin. There was only one copy of it, and no one had ever heard it, and it was this inaccessible thing that no one had ever heard. And then, about a year ago, it was announced that some person, for the price of $2 million, purchased this album. Just this year, we have found out that it was in fact our friend Martin. Who what else has he done, man? I'm terrified to find out. Now. This gets even more interesting. This is the most interesting thing I've probably ever heard in my life. First of all, Wu-Tang, who I guess didn't know that it was Martin that bought this album, has since forth, after hearing this, said that we're going to donate all that $2 million to like AIDS research because yeah. we feel horrible. And more recently, they've revealed that there was an extremely interesting clause in the contract that Martin signed to acquire this album. Here is the clause. The buying party also agrees that at any time the stipulated 88 year period, the seller may legally plan and attempt to execute one heist or keeper to steal back once upon a time in Shaolin. <laughs> Which, if successful, would return all ownership rights to the seller. Said heist or caper can only be undertaken by currently active members of the Wu-Tang Clan and slash or actor Bill Murray. Yeah. <laughs> with no legal repercussions. And recently, one of the members of Wu-Tang Clan tweeted, I think it's about time to call Bill Murray up. Out of nowhere. Jesus Christ. That's a... I can't wait till someone gets the screenplay for this. This I, is going to be a I movie, know, this man. Is, this is I, insane. There better be a movie about Jesus this Christ. soon. And if not, we better do it. Whoa. Yeah, I mean, I... I don't know what else to say. Wait, have you heard the news about him today? That was breaking as of like three hours ago. I have not. Uh, let me give you the ultimate. Okay. That, and I'm not kidding right now. I, right before I came here, I read this. That he, Martin Scrocrelli, I don't know how to say his name. He is currently sitting in jail right now. What? Yes. That the, the um, not the CIA, the tax people, the, um, oh, the... IRS. IRS. They have conducted, we'll post a link because it'll be more precise, but they, I think following uh, the uh, hike in the AIDS medication, there was an extreme interest by like the IRS and probably CIA into the business transactions that he's doing because you can't really do that sort of thing. There's a lot of like people that could potentially get rich in a small period of time sure. when you do something like that. And they have, I think, 
charged him with uh, fraud, humongous levels of fraud, and he's currently sitting oh, in a jail cell. That's what God. I read as of like four hours ago. And and the, one of the headlines is like Bill Murray. Yeah. You have no opportunities <laughs> here, baby. Move in. Jeez, like. <laughs> I Someone's gonna make a movie we, about we've this. We've all yeah. been waiting to hear this since September when he became part of our public consciousness. Yeah, fuck this guy. Something bad needs to happen. Yep. So he's there. You go. Fine. Well, I, I hope that they nail him for something. The only thing that sucks is someone as rich as him, I'm sure, will have a cakewalk sentence. Yeah. But I don't yeah. know. Whatever. Yeah, at least for now. So, have you been listening to anything interesting lately? You want to talk about? Besides uh, Wings Deluxe Edition B-Sides, the B-Wings as I like, like to call them. B-Wings? <laughs> the B-Wings. I had one album that I like a lot that I think kind of fell through the cracks in 2015 was Dan Deacon's album, Gliss Riffer. I highly recommend it. It's just a sort of awesome, crazy romp of intricately layered electronic music. He's a, he's a big dance guy. He's a big right? dance electronic. Before, his live shows are all about dancing. He like will put his uh, kind of machinery right in the middle and just have, and so everyone's circling around him dancing. Oh, that's pretty awesome. So yeah. he's in the middle of the pit. Pretty Usually much. that's what he okay. does. And he just has I've never been to one, but I've heard his live shows are like a ton of fun. I think some of our mutual friends Adam and some of them actually drove to Pittsburgh to see him not too long to ago. See, is that right? I think wow. it was over the summer. So yeah. He would have been gone at the time. Nice. Yes, I believe they did. Yeah, that could very well be. Yeah, so his he has a, an album Bromst that is an incredibly intricately layered the engineered electronic album. Uh, he's very into like just technical proficiency. This Gliss Riffer is more kind of dance electronic, but it's also very layered and, and fantastic album that kind of, it got good reviews, some commercial attention, but came out kind of earlier this year and then just kind of fell away. Sure. I've been re-listening to it. Very good. I don't know. I've you? been I've been listening to off of your recommendation, the William Basinski disintegration loops. Yeah, yeah. They are incredibly fascinating, yeah. incredibly up my alley, and incredibly challenging to listen to. <laughs> yeah, you. If you sit down with the first album and the first song, you have to be willing to listen to the same three-second noise repeated for an hour yep and it's it's fascinating like especially you skip from the first five minutes of the song to the last five minutes they will sound like two completely different things yeah but when you're listening to it you it, it happens so slowly that you don't realize the change yeah and yeah. it's i don't know i it's so fucking awesome yeah i, I, I just love them and i I learned about, like some more about him. Like he was wrapping up the recording of them the day the September 11th attacks happened. Yeah. And if you go online, there's these beautiful videos he shot, or him and his friends went on to. And he lived in New York City. Yeah. And he went up on his roof and just filmed the smoke and debris for hours. Yeah. And. There's videos where they pair this the music along with that 
the video footage and the album covers for all four of the albums are actually stills okay. from that video that he shot. Yeah. And it's kind of serendipitous how well the two go together. Yeah. This idea of disintegration and destruction slowly over time. Yeah. And I yeah, just it's powerful stuff, yeah, with that I, visual. I highly, I mean, they're definitely not for everybody, <laughs> yeah. but they're at least worth checking out. I yeah, think. no, I'm glad you. And more on the accessible side of things, I recently heard the song Pretty Pimpin' by Kurt Vile. Yeah. And I just love it. Yeah, it's I, a beautiful song. Kurt Vile has always been someone that's kind of been on like the fringes of my music knowledge. I've heard his name thrown around a bunch, and I think I've always kind of written him off as always just some acoustic guitar singer songwriter fuckhead <laughs> which is poor on me I'm, I'm my bad but 99% of the time that's a fair yes <laughs> especially some of the people who I know that are super into them no offense to their music tastes but I just that's not like my cup of tea all the time yeah but this song pretty pimpin came on the radio and it was incredible. Yeah. The lyrics are extremely introspective and clever and witty. Yeah. The music kind of has like a early modest mouse cloud cult feel to it almost. Yeah. Instrumentation slowly builds. Like it's more than just a guitar. There's strings, there's electronics yeah. mixed in there. And the backing vocals keep layering as the song goes on and it's this kind of idea of like loss of identity and not recognizing yourself in the mirror and it's it's great yeah it's just so great yeah yeah do you have anything just i know you like it too yeah no i the whole album is really good that song in particular is like a song i'll just listen to on repeat for like an hour yeah. it's just kind of like driving kind of, kind of that fantastic song kurt vile Highly recommend his stuff. Seems like a very genuine guy. I hate to be one of those people, but he's one of the musicians that you like see him live, like online, and he just seems like extremely genuine. Yeah, extremely I dig genuine. that. Yeah, yeah, he's cool as hell. And I guess even if he's not genuine, someone who puts forth the effort to come across as genuine, yeah. I still can dig that. It almost makes you honorary, genuine <laughs> guy. Yeah. Yes, like manifest <laughs> destiny. <laughs> yeah, you will it, man. Yeah. Okay, and with that, I guess we can move on to our first track of this playlist. Generation 666 <laughs> by Necromantics. That fucking name, Jesus. Off the 2002 album, Return of the Loving Dead. Necromantics are a psychobilly band from Copenhagen, Denmark. Psychobilly, for those of you who don't know, is a mixture of rockabilly and punk rock music, usually utilizing horror and occult themes. And for those of you who don't know what rockabilly is, it's a mixture of rock and country. Like, think Elvis. Elvis mm -hmm. was the quintessential rockabilly movie. So this has more of like a punkier, upbeat, fast vibe to it. And for some reason, I don't know why this stuck, but most of the psychobilly bands sing about horror and monsters and occult stuff okay you don't know why because that was my first question i, I why my why only, my did... only idea why is the bands that kind of paved the way to solidify this genre make it recognizable it, they such did. as necro like necromantics is one of the first ones they get 
Psychobilly got huge in Europe, like way huge in Is Europe right? before yeah. it ever came here. And by that time, all of the big bands were singing about monsters and horror stuff. And I think it just kind of like became hand in hand. Like, yeah. Oh, if you're going to do such. And you know, some bands don't do it. Like a really big American psychobilly band, the Reverend Horton Heat. Right, they don't. They, they're, not, they're not like these weird horror guys. They kind of just sing about whatever they want to sing about. Yeah. But the majority of these bands are horror for some reason. Mm. This band, Necromantics, they're known for their iconic coffin bass, which the lead singer, Kim Necroman, constructed himself. Is that his real name? Necroman is not his real last name, but Kim is his real first name. Mm. I'll post a picture of the coffin bass. It's pretty cool. It's it like is. A, yeah, it's badass. It's a stand-up double bass in the shape of a coffin. And I, I found out that Kim... He constructed the first one himself, and he actually used a children's coffin to build it. So he actually bought like a coffin intended for a child and built a stand-up base out of it. He has since constructed new ones because obviously a coffin probably doesn't have the best acoustics <laughs> to it. Yeah. I don't know if I wrote this note down. He has gone out of his way to hide what his real name is. Hmm. Like, everywhere I looked, it's Kim Necroman. I think I went on the linear notes for one of the albums, and something was accredited to Kim some Dutch last name. Yeah. And yeah, that's his yeah. true last name, but he's really, he really tried to hide it. What's he, he hiding from? He's the only constant member of this band, as well as the singer. It's kind of like real big fish where there's been a revolving door of other members of the band. Mm. So actually, I was wrong. They got huge during the second wave of the psychobilly movement, and then they gained most of their success when the third wave popped up in the 90s after they had come to America. Mm. So similar to the title of this album, Return of the Loving Dead, <laughs> Most of their album names and song titles are based off of horror puns, such as Alice in Psycholand, Jack the Stripper, Horror Scope, Love at First Bite, Dead Girls Don't Cry, Life is a Grave and I Dig It, Bats in My Pants, Demon Speed, What Happens in Hell Stays in Hell, and I Kissed a Ghoul and I Liked It. This song in particular, Generation 666, appears to be about a man who sells his soul to the devil for the love of a woman, which he refers to as his necromance and psycho bitch. Mm -hmm. You have got to be the first person on the face of the earth who has tried to analyze these lyrics. So yeah, I, what, <laughs> you what, what, are. Do you, what do you think of Generation 6? Is six? there a button to just erase and mute the lyrics? I fucking hate the lyrics. They're so cringeworthy. I just, uh, they just seem like they're catered to like young, pre or early pubescent kids that need something naughty to listen yeah. to. Woo! Okay, I think the music is pretty decent. And in particular, I really like, like around like the two 10 minute mark, there's that kind of rockabilly guitar yeah. that's beautiful. I love that shit. That's very cool. But the music, 
and the imagery, the lyrics and the imagery, oh, it does a disservice to the music. I, I agree. Oh. And I will, I did read, I can't remember which website it was. Someone was reviewing this album. I think it was All Sound. They said the problem that Necromantics runs into is a lot of these other horror-themed psychobilly bands are extremely campy. Yeah. In their delivery of the, of the lyrics as well as the song titles. The problem that Necromantics has is they've gone down the campy route for their lyrical themes and titles, but they deliver it in such a serious way where it's like it just comes across as pretentious, like these guys who are singing about horror things taking themselves extremely seriously. Yeah, see, that's exact. I was wondering, that was my second question, exactly, was how self-conscious, how serious are these lyrics supposed yeah. to be delivered? Because they seem like they're... Way too serious. <laughs> and oh, I will man. say, so if like, this is a song about <laughs> a guy who's selling his soul to the devil for some psycho bitch... Why is the song called Generation 666? Know, yeah. It it has nothing to do <laughs> yeah, with the rest of the song. It doesn't. All he says is like, oh, I sold my soul. Hell, I've always been part of Generation 666. Like, <laughs> you're just trying to, like, throw out clickbait words, yeah. I think. It's like, campy even yeah. in the campy sphere. Metacamp. It's a metacamp. Metacamp. Yes. Maybe that's what they're pulling up. And, and it's weird because it's like, it's trying to sound evil, but dancy and rockabilly at the same time. And it comes across very juvenile extremely like, i will say this is the kind of music that i think i would love to see live same yeah but same i never want to sit down and listen to it with like headphones on yeah i could never <laughs> i could never do that i dig the guitar shit yeah in in rock in like a psychobilly in general that's it's cool but i don't listen to it often and this has made me like a moratorium on it for like six months to get to get over this it sounds like We'll have to put your feelings for it into a child-sized coffin. <laughs> killed yes. off. Give me a child-sized <laughs> coffin for my feelings. Jesus Christ! Don't get to say that very often. <laughs> Give me a child-sized coffin. Uh, hopefully, you never have to say Jesus that. Jesus Christ! Okay, I gotta say, even the backup vocals. The guys, the backup vocals. The guys like ah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like shrugging. I've never heard backup vocals so less committed. Well, and then the song kicks off and ends with like these whispers of like, kill, kill. <laughs> like, you know, Halloween, like, yeah. like, he's like whispering occult things. Yeah. Kill, 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 spooky <laughs> it's just like, you, you either need to take it down a notch on the lyrics if you're going to go come across that serious or you need to go like wacky and weird yes. with your vocals and it's yeah. like okay i get it you're you got a vibe and a shtick but it's like you're trying to do two things at the same time that can't go together this is spinal tap man this is seriously fucking spinal minus tap. the irony <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. Uh, or at least they don't recognize the irony yeah no maybe. none recognize but especially the visuals of them too with the yeah, the coffin bass. Ugh. And they all have those rockabilly haircuts. <laughs> but psychobilly, the genre itself, I can dig it in. Yeah, like, necromantics, I think, they're good to an extent, and I think it gets old. I would highly recommend going with, like, Reverend Horton Heat. Because they're yeah. just, Same. you'll be snapping your fingers and tapping your foot and so hard. 
just what you said. I agree completely. To see him live. That's the yes. kind of shit would be fun to see live. Exactly. Yeah. Alright, I guess with that, we can... 666! After 666. We'll move on to the least 666 song I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> oh, life. Moon Shadow, Moon Shadow <laughs> by Cat Stevens. Yes. yes. Off his 1971 album, Teaser and the Firecat. Now, I learned a hell of a lot about Cat Stevens. There's a lot. There's I, a lot I did not even begin to realize the iceberg that this man is. Yeah. Yeah. So, Cat Stevens, British singer-songwriter from London, England. Deals in folk, pop, rock, and Islamic music. Yes, that's right. In 1977, he converted to Islam, renaming himself Yusuf Islam. He auctioned off all of his guitars and left his music career to devote himself to educational and philanthropic causes in the Muslim community. He got into that religion hard. Real hard. <laughs> in the 1990s, he gradually began to return to the music world, and by 2006, he was fully recording and releasing music again, but this time under the name Yusuf instead of Cat Stevens. Cat Stevens, or I should say as of Yusuf, he's received two honorary doctorates five humanitarian awards and was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2014. Hmm. So, he is an, an accomplished ass man. Yeah. <laughs> is the best yeah. way I can put it. He's huge in the Muslim community, educating, doing his thing. Though I will say he ran into a bit of criticism for a statement he made in 1989. Mm -hmm. Hinting that he supported the fatwa call for the death of Salman Rushdie, the author of the Satanic Verses. Yeah. And he's really never been able to shake that off. The couple times he's spoken about that statement he made, he keeps just shoving that foot further in his mouth. Yeah. Sometimes saying, oh, I was just kidding, I didn't mean it. Other times saying, well, if the Quran says it, I'm totally behind it. So if the Quran says to kill him, well, hmm. I think like, he's a pretty good example of someone who went into a religion later in his life and went in so hard that like 99% of the people who were born into that religion were like, whoa, dude, yeah. chill the fuck Calm out. The fuck. <laughs> you don't need to change your name to fucking Islam. Yeah. Your <laughs> last name is Islam, God. for God's sakes. I was like, Jesus, dude. So, <laughs> now that you kind of know more about him, yeah, getting back to this song and album. Moon Shadow. Moon Shadow. <laughs> Teaser and the Firecat is the title of a children's book that he both wrote and illustrated. It is a book about a boy named Teaser and his cat, Firecat, who attempt to put the moon back in place after it falls from the sky. The album art for this album actually comes from one of the pictures in that book. I believe it's actually the cover of that book. Yusuf considers Moon Shadow to be the favorite of his older songs that he wrote while he was still Cat Stevens. That is such a disservice to the yeah. music he made. God exactly, damn it. I read that too. I was like, what the I hell? I thought that I liked Cat Stevens more. But then I heard this song. I guess I'm foreshadowing my thoughts on this song. This is the Cat Stevens song I yeah. skipped because it reminds me of like my grandma. Yeah, like, so, yeah. okay. So he considers this to be his favorite song <laughs> because he believes its positive message can help. 
That dude drank some Kool-Aid hard, <laughs> man. So, the inspiration for this song, and I quote him. Let I, me guess, a moon shadow? <laughs> yeah. I was on holiday in Spain. I was a kid from the west end of London. Bright lights, etc. I never got to see the moon on its own in the dark. There were always street lamps. So there I was at the edge of the water on a beautiful night with the moon glowing, and suddenly I looked down and saw my shadow. I thought it was so cool. I'd never seen it before. That's it. <laughs> In May of 2012, Moon Shadow, a musical by Youssef, featuring music from throughout his career, hmm. opened at the Princess Theatre in Melbourne, Australia. The show received mixed reviews and closed four weeks early. <laughs> Because he based a whole play off of this fucking song. The song, it's basically about trying to find hope and positivity in all situations and perspectives on This song makes me feel like a pretentious, cynical asshole <laughs> because of how much I hate this song. Yeah. I don't, are you familiar with the children's singer Rafi? Like the banana phone song. Yes. Yeah. Yep. 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 This this sounds like that. It sounds yeah. like a song for exactly. three year olds in preschool. Yeah, it's a song I would maybe like sing to a young child to comfort them. That's it. Yeah. I got Cat Stevens is so radically a product of his time, and this song is to me it just represents a possible and basically lost musical trajectory that could have been of the super sincere folk singer who just is so like technical neat jangly happy and somehow is on like a mega star and that just maybe could have happened but it just didn't happen but in that brief period yeah. in like the early 70s and this song somehow became a huge hit Oh, I fucking hate this song. I, listening to this song <laughs> makes me, like, I have to go listen to, like, death metal or something afterwards. <laughs> yes. Like, I have to feel hatred and violence for, like, two minutes to counteract how sweet this song is. I'm being followed by a moon uh, shadow. Moon shadow, and moon like, shadow. And the oh. he rhymes mouth with south. <laughs> if I lost my mouth. North and South, like, <laughs> ah, just, why, uh, why? And then there's this weird part where, like, there's like this bridge, and he asks about someone spending the night, which is weird. Like, uh, it goes from like this, like, be positive all the time to, yeah. are you gonna sleep over tonight? Back to moon shadow, moon shadow. Like, yeah. God, it's a. Sh I gotta say the song should have been given to some like shitty teeny bopper musician three like standard deviations of talent below cat yes. stevens and they could have had the hit because he sounds like he's like being so his talent is being repressed every moment of this song it's like keeping him down because he has an unbelievably powerful voice and you just get the tiniest glimpse of it in like the final 30 seconds where he goes to the refrain a little bit hard and for a second you hear like the power in his voice mm -hmm. and then he just does a falsetto it's like moon shadow and it's like this song is a disservice to cat stevens man. someone <laughs> in the rock and roll hall of fame should not have made this song agreed 
This is a teeny bopper, shitty ass piece of shit. And I love Father and Son by Cat Stevens. Listen to that song. He's got a beautiful voice, man. This song is... I should just take our review of this song out and just play that song instead because it'll just be better. It will be way better. Yeah, this song. I I have nothing else to say about it. Do you? Moon Shadow. (laughs) End scene. All right, let's move on to Love You All by Cloud Cult. Off the 2008 album, Feel Good Ghosts, parentheses, Tea Partying Through Tornadoes. Cloud Cult is an experimental indie rock band from somewhere between Minneapolis and Duluth, Minnesota. Forewarning, Jared Bias alert. Cloud Cult is ranked number two on my most played artist of all time, according to Last FM. I have over 2,200 plays from them. I've seen them somewhere between 10 and 15 times live. I've seen them once. I've interviewed them for my college newspaper. Which I recorded a video of, and I will be posting in the notes for this. Nice. And my girlfriend and I each own a painting from one of the band members. Cloud Cult is known for having two painters on stage during their live performances. During the duration of the show, the painters will start and finish a painting from scratch. And then the, the, and then after the show, the paintings will be auctioned off. Whoever pays the most gets to take mm. it home. That's how Manny and I got our painting. They're probably the most environmentally conscious band of all time. (laughs) They have formed their own record label called Earthology Records. The entire building it's in is built from recycled and reclaimed materials, and it's powered by geothermal energy. And I will say, they have turned down multiple contracts from larger labels that they did not sign with due to their unenvironmentally friendly practices. Wow, that's that's All of their merchandise is made from recycled or environmentally friendly products. And they actually, there's a pretty interesting little documentary about this. I'll have to find it. They played a huge role in making soy-based inks cost-effective. Like, it's pretty much the standard used these days. Hmm. But before that, no one used it. And they worked with ink companies Basically, wow. by getting companies to produce their t-shirts and albums and having to print with soy ink, made it frequently enough used that it's now pretty much the standard in the ink industry. I did not know that. Wow. Yes. Pretty much all of the profit the band makes, they donate to environmental charities. They love the earth. What can I say? Damn. And the name Cloud Cult, too, yeah. right? That comes from... Cult of the Earth, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. In 2002, Craig and Connie Minowa, the lead singer and one of the painters of the band, respectively. And I should say, Craig, he's like the lead singer, songwriter, mastermind. He's kind of the Trent Reznor or the dude from Tame Impala. He's, he is the band, and yeah. then there's musicians to help him play it live. So, right. And one of the painters in the band, Connie, they're married. So in 2002... Their two-year-old son, Caden, died unexpectedly in his sleep. Mm. And to this day, no one really knows why. There's no cause. He just never woke up. Wow. And it drove Craig into this manic depression. And the only way he could cope was by writing songs. Mm. He wrote hundreds upon hundreds of songs. He stated in interviews 
that there are thousands of songs that are just have never been released. Wow. That was his way of coping. And those songs make up the majority of the discography of Cloudcore. Hmm. So it's it's extremely manic, happy, depressed, just the entire scope of every emotion you could feel yeah. in these albums. And they're all based off the death of his, of his kid. They have since kind of moved away from that. Yeah. But I'd say the good middle part of their discography is Mm. Um, Pitchfork has described Cloud Cult as a sort of post-Beck kitchen sink alt-rock matched with 21st century quasi-religious collectives. Mm. And they also said (laughs) here's classic Pitchfork. (laughs) Nearly everything about the group is so admirable their studio runs on geothermal power or adorable live painters on stage that you could feel comfortable nominating them for public office or writing about <laughs> them only in lull cat speak. Jesus. <laughs> so that, there's nice. kind of your background on Club Cult. And before yeah. I say too much with my biases, what did you think of Love You All? So Club Cult, I'm not, I'm not as familiar with as you. I've seen them live before, and a lot of my friends like them, and I like them too. From what I've heard, ten thousand, yep, ten k, ten k festival in Minnesota. Yep, exactly. And this song, to me, is not so much a standalone song. I wouldn't quite say, or or this song is just sort of the here is one particular emotion on the palette, and if you want to hear this emotion, listen to this song, and it's. In this case, I don't think there's much more to it than no. that. Um, I appreciate the ambient feel, low-pitched bells, strings, added vocals. Xylophones, I have a problem with xylophones. It's actually a glockenspiel. It's a glockenspiel. I have a problem with glockenspiels. Okay. Things that sound like xylophones. Just a personal bias. I have no idea why. I'm a little this, emotionally toned. This thing, guys, Dominic's tough on xylophones. Yeah, no xylophones, no glockenspiels. Okay. That's okay. my. <laughs> so you're sorry. You're emotionally. I'm a little emotionally tone deaf at times, and I wasn't in the emotion of this song when I listened to the song. So it kind of just hit me in past. Sure. If that makes sense. No, I completely yeah. understand. Like unless you're in like a sappy, sentimental mood. Yeah. This song might be a bit much. In the lyrics. <laughs> I've never actually heard anyone have lyrics that are just, I love you, mom, I love you, dad. And that's probably because there's got to be an infinite number of other ways you could say that in a song. And they just say it literally. But eh, what can you do? I don't think the lyrics were supposed to be central. No, I agree. I, it's, it's like, do you ever, have you ever listened to Tenacious D? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. So getting real specific on their first album there's a skit called the one note song where like it's (laughs) just jack and kyle playing one note and bending it every once in a while and then jack's like okay we got another song (laughs) and then kyle's like wait wait it's too easy anyone could do that and then jack's like but who did it first me (laughs) and then kyle's like oh i guess you're right yep and like you said no one would ever just literally say, I love my mother, I love my father. When it's my time to go, I need you to know I love you all. But they did but it. They and fucking no did one it. Else did it. <laughs> yeah, <but no. laughs> 
<laughs> so, especially coming after Moonshadow. Yeah, it feels very. This is how you write a positive-sounding song. Yeah, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I will say, for as biased as I am about Cloud Cult, I'm probably ten times more biased about this song because this was like literally the very first Cloud Cult song I ever listened to. Oh. This was the song that got me into Cloud Cult. Now I can take a step back and realize the lovey-dovey simplistic nature of it kind of lets you feeling leaves you feeling kind of empty like it's it's a one note song kind of yeah. like the one note song from tenacious D. <laughs> it's one sentiment i think the way they go about it though adds a lot more to it <clears throat> i love how quiet it starts and how big and expansive it gradually grows and it kind of gets to an explosive point and then ends very quietly yeah. which is what i'm going to call the post-rock bell curve which I found is like a surefire way to make Jared like a song if you have the post-rock bell curve. Yeah. Crescendos and quiet parts. Or as cheesy as the sentiment is, I do love how simple the lyrics are. And for how weird the robot voice can be, I like it, but I can understand it's kind of like unnecessary. Why did they put that in there? That I really... I mean, I love anything that is in with within the realm of ambient music i'm gonna generally like and i generally like this song and i liked but that vocal effect i when i am so radically ambivalent about it at first i was like that's kind of cool but then i was like given the lyrics i don't quite get it because it almost it sounds too like alien yeah did yeah i mean, well i honestly i have no idea what his intention was yeah. I will say it's interesting because as the song progresses, they slowly transition the robot voice out. True. Yeah, that's very so true. So I don't know if yeah, it's like this idea of like learning to love or like admitting something and like breaking away your cold hard feelings. It's I don't know. Yeah. I feel like if that was the message they're trying to send across, they'd probably need more lyrics than the three <laughs> lines that this song consists of. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. This song ends the feel good ghost album it's the last song and i think it i could see that yeah exactly what's weird though is for a good portion of their touring lineup this was their opener (laughs) they would start concerts with this song really but they would then use it to transition to another song which kind of goes with that idea that you were saying where this doesn't feel like a standalone song yeah yeah. it either needs to start something or cap something yeah yeah exactly yeah I don't know, Cloud Cult, it's weird. They feel kind of like my band. Like, I have some sort of ownership over them. (laughs) There are many bands that I have connections to, but due to how many times I've seen it interacted with Cloud Cult on numerous occasions, how beautiful and uplifting their music is, the strong emotional connection I feel towards them, they're probably, I feel that more towards them than any other band, even though they're not, like, my favorite band. Yeah, and it's yeah. really weird because if you've gathered, I like darker, abrasive music, and Cloud Cult is very hard on their sleeves, positive. Yeah, it's kind of an anomaly in my music taste. And I will say, for as much as I enjoy them, I'm not completely biased. I realize they're not perfect. Their last album, I fucking hated it. <laughs> they have a new album coming out 
and I've heard one song off of it. I am not hopeful for this album. Really? I I hate to say it, but their music was better when he was tortured over the death of his son. <laughs> I, I really I hate to be that guy. I don't want to push artists towards dark places. Here, this is the darkest thread of child coffins. I know. <laughs> Possible for Isn't a fucking podcast. <laughs> how they, both those things showed up in this. That is weird. There's that's like some like weird pitchfork god that's controlling what Damn. pops up on this. Yeah. But, but no, I hear you though. Yeah, Dick. I don't his when he was psychotic with depression, the, the music was better. I yeah. hate to say it, but I'm gonna say it. Yeah. This kind of, album was yeah. on the very end fringes mm. of him kind of getting over that. Yeah, I gotta say, there's something. It's and, and maybe this isn't quite right, but it seems like like the early to mid 2000s, there was like a musical like trajectory that kind of seemed to have fizzled out of like very. And this is where I kind of see it a little bit with Cat Stevens, very sincere indie pop. Sure. Like explosions in the sky, polyphonic spree, and that was in, in Cloud Cult too. Like very sincere, positive music, and for whatever reason, it seemed like, like I think Saint Vincent is the best example. She came out of polyphonic spree, yeah, and now she's doing very like Wait, ironic. I didn't know yep. that she was one of she the was little one cult of members. The Forty members yep. of that band. Yep, and now she does like very ironic techno. And to me, that. For some reason, that's kind of that trajectory of super sincere indie music. Maybe it's, it's still out there. No, but... that, no, that's very interesting. That's a very good point. Yeah, because yeah, Polyphonic Spree, blatant positivity, yeah. splattered everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And St. Vincent, like the birth and reverse song, I know, it's very <laughs> like cynical and yeah. kind of snarky. Yes, oh yeah. yeah. And for whatever reason, it seems like that, that was the shift. That yeah, I, I guess maybe... Maybe it's not that Cloud Cult music's changing. Maybe it's just that, like, I listened to it at a right time in my life yeah. where it spoke to me. And now that they're still trying to do the positivity shtick, it's just kind of leaving me going, like, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess with that, let's move on to something more negative <laughs> Lies by Korn. Oh, sorry, unless you had anything else to say about. No, Love no, you no. Okay. So, Lies by Korn off the eponymous 1994 album corn i didn't know that word eponymous existed before but that is when an album is named after the band eponymous album corn their first official lp corn are a new metal band and that's n u with an umlau over it mm -hmm. dash metal new metal band from bakersfield california which, interesting, they were given the key for that city by the mayor. <laughs> it's a real coveted key, yes. man. Bakersfield. Good luck, bro. King of Methods. <laughs> right, new metal is a subgenre of alternative metal that combines elements of heavy metal music with elements of other genres, such as hip-hop, alt-rock, funk, and grunge. I will say, most predominantly, it's usually heavy metal and hip-hop, which Korn is infamous for. Mm -hmm. Korn, say what you will about them, but they were, and what you will about new, new metal, but Korn is why new metal is. They defined the sound of new metal and brought it to mainstream success. They were huge for a little while. They were, they were giant. Like, yeah. and anytime there is a new metal band that you listen to, 
they were inspired by Korn. Yeah. I can guarantee you that. Oh, yeah. In particular, this album helped give birth to new metal. It's a very important album, even if you don't like it. Yeah. It created this sound, the very distinct sound of like the loosely stringed drop down slap bass guitar. Yeah. The seven string normal guitars, rather than like playing like chords, just trying to sound like DJ scratches. Yeah, like, like heavily syncopated. Yeah. On this song, yeah. most of the verses, yeah. the guitars are just going like. Yep. Like yeah. that's it. And then the bass is just sounds like clicks. It's like click click yep. click 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 click. click, click, click. Yeah. That's new metal. Yeah. Eighth slash ninth grade Jared. This is his favorite band yeah. of all time. If I had a time machine, I'd bring him here to sit you and talk about this song because he'd probably have a lot more to say. <laughs> um I've seen Corn live three times. Shit. Wow. Twice most interestingly. I should also say I've seen Corn three times. My father has seen Corn twice. He's gone with me. I got into Corn at such an age where I couldn't go to a Corn show by myself. It would be so funny if it was the opposite. You've seen it twice. My dad's seen it three, three times. times. <laughs> no, and, and, no, I, and my dad is such a good guy. That is that nice. He though. brought Damn. a pair of earplugs and literally <laughs> just sat there and closed his eyes for the whole show. Holy so shit. I, <laughs> Stood up and was like, fuck yeah, cool. Dude, your dad is now my favorite dad. He's an That's awesome. awesome. That's I awesome. will say he did say something <laughs> cool because I was in eighth grade at the time, so it was at arena shows and we were up in the seats. I was knocked down on the floor. Yeah. And he said, My mom, say what you will about that kind of music, but there's something about seeing thirty thousand people jumping and screaming in unison. He's like, it's a powerful thing to see. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Corn, actually specifically about this album, in 2014, Rolling Stones described this album as the most important metal record of the last 20 years, due to its highly influential nature. Hmm. Speaking of new metal bands that Corn has inspired, Edema, Limp Bizkit, Linkin Park, Evanescence, P.O.D., Cold, Machine Head, Stain, Seether, Flyleaf, Kitty, Taproot, Otep, Hoobastank, Deftones, Lacuna Coil, Video Drone, Theory of a Dead Man, Thousand Foot Crutch, Breaking Benjamin, Papa Roach, Seven Dust, Saliva, Drowning Pool, Trust Company, Shinedown, Three Days Grace, Trapped, Hollywood Undead. I could keep going. I yeah. could seriously keep going, but that should probably put it into perspective for you. Yeah. This, and I, there's a very interesting article that Rolling Stones released along with this statement, which is an oral history of this album where they literally interviewed all five members of the band talking about what was going on during the recording of this. It was very interesting for me to read because of my ties to Korn. I don't know if anyone else would care, but I will post it if you guys are interested. Yeah, yeah. From reading the interview, I pretty much gathered that this album was fueled by alcohol, meth, and wheatgrass. <laughs> they had this... The guy that helped produce the album was this... This, like, uh nature healthy food freak so during the day he'd be giving them like shots of wheatgrass and at night they'd do meth and get drunk and <sighs> record this album that's a mixture <laughs> the as well as defining the sound of this genre they also helped define the lyrical content with this album such as metal especially coming from the 80s was this macho kind of I'm gonna kill you and fuck this woman. This album's about 
child sexual abuse and being called a fag and getting beat up in high school and being depressed. Mm. It's very anti-machismo. Yeah. And yeah, so uh, what did you think of lies? This is really like me stepping outside myself. But I gotta say, listening to this song made me kind of feel like maybe there's something really really good about new metal that so many people that you named afterwards got totally fucking wrong yes my god because this is actually like a pretty good song i gotta be honest i listened to this and i was like i haven't heard music like this in a long time and i appreciate the eclectic sounds in there and all those fucking names. Who was staying? Yeah. Who was? That's why New Metal died. Yeah. Because they influ- the people after them got it wrong. It's it's not Corn's fault. No. Or yeah. At least it's not really Corn. So. Yeah. Not too happy with what they've been doing for the past couple of years. But yes. But this, I honestly, there's something about it. I'll admit that seems a little silly. Like maybe the hard or heaviness only seems legit if that tone is never broken meaning like like they they're too eclectic in the sound to fully seem heavy sure and they maybe they try to come across as more heavy and from well how can i say it? by perspective of the like black metal heavy people this didn't seem heavy yeah. but they still kind of seemed like they were trying to be heavy maybe that was something they could have changed but I love that syncopated kind of you know sound like jarring and the kind of sticky drums. I just like in the screen in the other genres. I don't know. I found myself shocked that I kind of was nostalgic for what early new metal could have been. This I got the exact same thing. Yeah. Like I haven't listened to Corn in a long time and listened to this. I it made me want to go on like a Corn binge. Like it really brought me back. I I especially love the refrain in this song. Yeah, yeah. Like, so the guy who's screaming the lyrics is actually not Jonathan Davis, the lead singer. It's the lead guitarist, Head, hmm. is his name, Brian Welsh. The guy was like, Do you ever stand outside your fear? Yeah. Take your life. And the whole time, Jonathan's going, <laughs> yeah. He's like this, yes. And like just nuts, yeah. the growl interlaced with like, and Head's lyrics, they're kind of like, Wider in the background, which I like, and then I love how at the end they're both screaming together, and it yeah. just gets like insane. Yeah, it really. I was shocked at how fresh it sounded. Yeah, I like. I was like, when have I heard anything like this in like the last like ten years? Really, I was. And the instrumentation is refreshingly clear too, which it's is clear. Yeah. And I also love how dirty and dismal like bass yeah everything feels grimy and covered in dirt in the song which is a good thing yeah yeah and i love how at the end after they're screaming the song ends with like him taking a breath in like they let them like because he just got done screaming his lungs out and like had to breathe in and i love how they left that in the recording yeah yeah i yeah i honestly dude like just not even corn understood what new metal no, yeah. they didn't, because like if you talk to them, like, of course, they're like, they don't consider themselves new metal or whatever. Yeah. But it's it's hard because they're like, we weren't trying to create a genre. We were just making music. Yeah. And it just so happened that it was so good that 
hundreds of bands copied them. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, from what I gathered, the song appears to be about someone ending a toxic relationship with someone who they consider a liar. It's pretty yeah. straightforward lyrically, but the emotional delivery of the vocals make up for anything lacking in how interesting the song is actually. Yeah, and I love the screaming in yeah. the back, like you said. Yeah. That was, uh, and, uh, I dug it. I honestly, I was shocked. I was so shocked that I actually liked it. I'll have to make you a corn whip. I know. I love me some corn, y'all. Right, any, anything else? No, except, yeah, just kind of a personal shock. This wins the award so far of me being absolutely Most shocked surprised. at myself. Sure. Yeah. All right. Finally, we'll move on to pain, which at the end of my last episode, I wrongfully said was by the pillows ah. and i'll explain why that was this is actually composed by a man named shinkichi mitsumun this is off the whether you're in japan or usa the 2000 album or the 2004 album flc original soundtrack volume one attic hmm. which is the soundtrack for the anime fully cool Ah. So, Shinkichi, Shinkichi I, I think it's Shinkichi, yes. is a anime composer from Fukuoka, Japan. Other than Yu-Gi-Oh, the Fully Cooly OVA is probably the most successful anime that he's ever composed for. Hmm. And I also learned that OVA stands for Original Video Animation which is an anime series that was created specifically to, re to be released to home video without the intention of a broadcast. Cooly Cooly was actually just a little six-part show, and that was it. It wasn't like a long, standing anime. I don't know why I'm telling you this. I know you're the biggest anime fan of all time. <laughs> I'm an anime nut, as I like to <laughs> say. Nut. Anime nut. <laughs> yeah. So, the reason why I was confused about who did this song is because the majority of the FLCL soundtrack is done by a band called The Pillows, with additional score being filled in by Shinkichi. So, The Pillows are this awesome alt-rock band from Japan, and they they did pretty much all the songs for it. Shinkichi helped collaborate with them on a few tracks, and then there's a couple tracks like this that he composed purely by himself. Now, I will say the pillows play a pretty big role in my life. I wouldn't say pretty big. A significant. Hmm. I don't want to say big. It's at least really significant in that they made me realize that not all anime has to have J-pop be the music that backs it. Yeah. I don't know how familiar you are with anime and J-pop, but J-pop, I find just fucking obnoxious. <laughs> yes. I hate it. And the pillows, they do a very J-poppy thing where like they'll sing an entire song in Japanese but have one word being English in the middle for some reason. Yeah. Like hybrid rainbow and then they'll just start <laughs> singing Japanese. Yeah. But they do it in such an awesome alt-rocky way that it, it really got me to like it got me into anime. Nice. And nice. I, I have this theory that as long as an anime has a good soundtrack it's a good anime. So like I have this holy trilogy of Jared's animes with good music. Trigun, <laughs> Fully Cooly, Cowboy Bebop. I highly recommend checking out all those shows, but even yeah. more so, check out the soundtracks for those shows. 
Mm. So I couldn't find out that much about this composer. I found out that he has a business degree. He's been studying <laughs> music since the age of four. He used to play in a marine band, like a band in the Marines. Mm. And now he just does music for anime. And that's pretty much all I could find out about him. What did you think of Pain? Okay, it makes a lot more sense that this was accompanied to some sort of visual. Yes. Because I literally wrote, it seems like a song that would be in a movie. <laughs> it, <laughs> I actually, I, I wrote some, something down too. It said, I like this track, but it definitely sounds like a filler track. Yeah. It, it needs something visual to complete it. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. And out of curiosity, when did the movie, the anime come out that this accompanied? 90s? Well, I'm, I was going to say early 2000s. Early 2000s, okay. If the soundtrack came out in 2000, I'm assuming it had to have been... I should look this up. I know it was the very late 90s or the very early okay. 2000s. Okay, yeah, to me, it almost... Because I, I was listening to this, which is like a, just a cut under two minutes long, right? It's, very, it's short. A very short. And I was listening to it like this is a standalone song made by someone who this is designed to listen to on its own. And I thought it sounded like it would be like a 90s era movie. Maybe like in between like scenes in like Lethal Weapon. Sure. Because of that saxophone. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, Which is like... Yeah. And I was like, ooh, yeah, there you go. So I, I didn't dislike it, but yeah, I thought... Yeah, it was almost kind of like Jethro Tully, but then felt a little Kenny G style. Yeah. But how do you analyze it? It, it had that... Extremely overpolished studio jazz feel that Kenny G music. Yeah, has. Like, yeah, yeah. This song was probably recorded entirely using a keyboard <laughs> with samples yeah. of what the other instruments sound like. Yeah, yeah. And I will say it is impressive how many different instrumental sounds he fit into such a short track yeah, without it is. feeling too overcrowded. Yeah, yeah. But still, it just feels like there's no feeling in it. It feels like this Diller. really cold, yeah. like. Some robot in a jazz studio said, we need a two-minute song. And he put this, like, I, there's a huge disconnect with me. Why is this song called Pain? It yeah. I, emulate the idea of pain to me whatsoever. In fact, I assumed that the band had to be called Pain. pain. Because um, this song cannot be called Pain. And no. I thought, well, the song is called Shinkichi. Mitsumuni. <laughs> okay. This song is called Pain. Wow, that's amazing. It almost sounded like, like a Cat Stevens jam band. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's kind of like, believe it's got a moon shadow. But yeah, no, I could see it accompanying. I could see it being effective in some sort of visual transition. Yeah. Well, I don't really know what else to say. It's kind of like a, a little bite of a song. Yeah. I, I guess. Uh, what was your? What's your favorite track of the five? Believe it or not. I gotta say, corn. corn. I do genuinely have to say corn. It's crazy, but I dug it. I this was it was really hard for me. It was definitely a toss up between corn and cloud call, which is difficult because those are two bands where <laughs> my, you would never think they would be. Yeah, one. <laughs> and also my fandom of them is so deep rooted in nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. So I would definitely say specifically. Love You All actually played an important role in my life, whereas the song Lies did not. Yeah. I Corn did as a whole, but that song 
does not stick out for me. Yeah. So like, it's hard. Me being the the Jared I am right now, Horn was definitely vibing with me a lot better. Yeah. So if I had to say like, of these five, me being right now, which is my favorite of the five, I'd have to go with Lies. But if I had to look back and say which of these five songs has like actually affected my life, yeah, I'd have to say yeah. Love You All. So yeah. I, that's the best I can do. I can't leave you with anything other. Than no, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. All right. You know what? Maybe I gotta change mine to Moon Shadow. Moon Shadow. Moon Shadow. What well, not Generation Six Six Six? Moon Shadow Six Six Six. Maybe if Necromantics and Cat Stevens teamed up, they could put out something better than the two records <laughs> that they put forward today. Jesus, that's an amazing. No, I'll go with Corn. Do Corn. a mashup between Moon Shadow and Generation Six Six Six. Everyone's been looking for that. Yeah. All right, I guess next is to pick up the next five tracks. Yep. Okay, well, here we go. Speaking of which, first song is In This Twilight by Nine Inch Nails. But I will say it is not the original version of the song. It is off the Year Zero Remixed album, so it is a remix of In This Twilight. So still not an actual official Nine Inch Nails song. Next is Returning Empty-Handed by Under Oath. Next is 54 Simru Beats by Aphex Twin, C-Y-M-R-U. Next is Fell in Love with a Girl by The White Stripes. (laughs) And the final song. I'm so ronery off the Team America World Police soundtrack. Excellent. All right, well, you can look forward to that. And other than that, I hope you have a good week and have a good holiday, whatever you celebrate. Bye.